legitimate scientists and healthcare providers have to say the words, I don't know, plenty of times in their life. It's both conceited and preposterous to think we humans on this tiny planet truly understand all the powers fueling the universe, let alone the reasons for existence. Though perhaps now, only with hindsight, we realize it was foolish to make up stories like Greek gods, ancient Egyptian deities, and in particularly knowing that large populations accepted those stories blindly as facts. We understand why such stories were made up. A lack of reason for events is difficult for humans to swallow, to the point we make up fiction to please a narrative rather than accept a lack of cohesiveness in our understanding. So, Zeus made lightning, and in another religion, Ra was the sun god swallowed every night by another god and reborn each morning. These types of explanations are near daily events in the entire recorded history of humanity. If we can't explain a news event, there will be plenty of commentators to try and build a narrative as to why people voted one way or conditions that caused some shooting or whatever else happened. Portions of the truth will likely exist in each explanation. It depends on the true expertise of the person talking, but in this unusual moment in United States history where expertise is less valued and even looked at as a hindrance by so many people, our narratives drift farther from data and further into conspiracy and agendas. However, ultimately many events don't have great explanations or contain so many complex pieces that contribute to an event that trying to go from A to B to C is more forcing a logic out of a story that wasn't a real logical occurrence to begin with. And I fall into that category of being like most humans, desiring an explanation when troubling events occur. Everyone would like answers. And for some people, the answers come to them easily, right? So 9-11 or a natural disaster happened because God is punishing America for accepting gay marriage or whatever narrative exists in their mind. And you got to love the narrative that God created gays to punish them for being gay as a warning to straight people not to become gay. People are always playing with God's thoughts as though we really know what they are, right? I don't know. I don't know why people play with God so much. It's hard to really say. You know, if you would have told me that the Insane Clown Posse would be the song I picked for one of my podcasts back in the day, would have never believed it. But there they are, ICP. Sometimes it is fun to argue, debate folks' beliefs or post counter-beliefs or support certain views. Though for me, if I've had a conversation dozens of times, I find it tedious to repeat that conversation again, even in a new setting with new people, unless I sense a truly new perspective will be heard. Otherwise, it's like listening to a telemarketer call a guy with dementia. You're just going to go round and round with nothing being accomplished. And most people who have a faith are not going to be objective experts. I mean, if we time-warped ourselves back to ancient Greece, I couldn't convince religious citizens that praying to Poseidon 
won't change the sea for mariners on their voyage. Whether or not one thinks of religiosity as a neurological condition, one has to admit, among any culture, religiosity, no matter what the religion is, is infectious amongst its citizens. And of course, the religion you believe is very dependent on where you were born. So not many Saudis convert to Catholicism, if you know what I mean. And while I understand the sadness some people feel if they give up on a bigger purpose, I don't relate to it. I mean, I happen to think the purpose of life is to live it to the best of your ability. Our atoms within us, our atoms found throughout the universe, and we are part of everything. And I find peace in that. I know a few things, but remain ignorant of most things. I can't claim I should teach anyone the first thing about Chinese history, Despite being to China a couple times and reading about it, my gaps are massive in most topics. It is interesting that strong faith pushes aside knowledge gaps and just fills them in. Unfortunately, too often, faith throws the importance of knowledge out the window. If I try and talk with a true believer who never studied origins of theology or the history of the Messianic Age or the multiple writing styles of the Bible, which argues that it was written by several humans, and not a supreme being, because you would think that you wouldn't have different writing styles if it was just written by God, it can be seen as offensive to even question anything about their belief. The idea of knowledge being threatening is nothing new, though I do find it frustrating. And with that set up, I can now move into my thoughts on religion. And one of the conversations I occasionally find interesting but more often find as exciting as an alcohol-free wedding are questions of religion from semi-religious people, particularly in the workplace setting, such as a medical practice or a hospital. When I am asked about what my religion is by patients or coworkers, most of the time I think they're trying to find some sort of kinship. If we share the same religion, then there's something that we have in common. Sometimes I get the question, are you an atheist? And I sense that they're actually asking it in a derogatory manner. Maybe I'm totally wrong about that. And I don't take that question as derogatory. And while I'm not totally certain that anybody's definition of atheism is exactly the same between two people, it's a rather hard question to answer, even if you do consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic, and who really wants to get into the whole thing over and over about what the differences are between those two. And I acknowledge there are so many reasons a person may be asking that question. I mean, sometimes they themselves may feel internally conflicted and are truly interested in your answer, or they're in a mood to outwardly take a strong stand for whatever religion they were born into, as if others haven't heard the defense of their heritage or their religion before. And they really do believe what they are saying. It isn't a falsehood to them. It's like guys who believe they can pull out every time so there's nothing to worry about. Just because they genuinely believe it doesn't make it true. And if a religion is true, then statistically, the majority of people have to be wrong, right? Because there are so many religions and they can't all be right. So if there is one true religion that is accurate, that means the majority of people in all the other religions are wrong. And I will say, I don't think religious people are more delusional than atheists or agnostics. I mean, I've met some really 
whacked out non-religious folks who think all of Western medicine is a complete conspiracy. I've had people tell me to my face that doctors, that I have the cure for cancer, but don't want to give it to the population because we want to charge more for things that don't work, that we have made HIV to kill certain populations. I've heard people say that a small hidden group of Jewish people run the entire world, you know, that whole protocols of Zion conspiracy. So I just don't buy that religion is more delusional than other ideas out there. And there actually may be an evolutionary advantage to joining certain religious groups and therefore having certain religious thoughts. In fact, it's hard for me to believe that there isn't evolution at play behind the development of religiosity that can firm up tribalism and therefore provides advantages to a population that sticks together. Now, it's frustrating in the sense that when you build an echo chamber, the people outside of that echo chamber, it's really, really tough on those people, though it makes life rather simple for most explanations for the people that do build that echo chamber. You don't have to think as much, and life's not as complex. And you know, the thing is, losing religion is a very dangerous time for an individual. A major point of religion is to answer questions about life, about death, about purpose. Many of those who are unable to replace religion with other answers become lost, just as those who never had religion or alternative answers can become destructive. And on the flip side, there have been many, many times in my career where an addicted person tells me they will change their lives using God. And while I don't give the slightest credence to the God they are talking about, I am voting heavily for their success with that God. They have already lost an earthly Pasquale's wager. Now, when people who may be normally diverted by sports or social media, reality TV or whatever, when they become very upset in a really bad situation and need answers, the pews do fill up. So that phenomenon is seen after events like 9-11 or maybe some major personal tragedy. And while I don't think it should be coming down to an either-or choice, if somebody doesn't have the tools for deep intellectual exploration, there are plenty of examples where finding religion might be a better choice. And I know very well that for certain people that I take care of, religion is probably the better choice for them, and I have no problem with them being believers. Now, which religion is an interesting question for a non-believer of any of them. So the difference between a large organized religion and a cult is usually how long it has been established, as it had centuries of gaining acceptance. I find it comical that some religious people are so annoyed by Scientology or whatever, as if their religion didn't start as a tiny minority cult that grew over thousands of years. Now listen, if you believe, as you should, that the lower limit of the age of the Earth is 4.5 billion years old, and that's just the Earth, the universe is about 13.8 billion years old, but if you're telling me after 4 billion, 
566 million years, God decided to give us Abraham or his son or Muhammad or L. Ron Hubbard. I have no problem if you believe that, but then looking at me as the misguided one, not seeing the truth, is always an interesting argument to me. Now, I do realize there are well-established religions, like one of the oldest still-practiced religions is Hinduism, that is not that dogmatic and allows several paths for a person to take to certain truths. And for that reason, as well as many other reasons, I simply, I'm not anti-religious, even though I'm not religious. I actually disagree with anti-religious people who will say blanketing false statements such as religion is the cause of all wars. By the way, tribalism causes wars. Lack of resources causes wars. And religion can often be a tool to justify wars, but I think it is far from the root cause in the majority of cases. And I'm not at all saying there's never been a war purely for religious reasons, because of course there has. There are a lot of people who believe that God doesn't like diversity despite him or her creating diversity. And so, you know, classically, where I go a lot, Jerusalem, it's one of those places torn by religion in the sense that nobody can deny that before this modern state of Israel, there was Palestine, but also nobody can deny that before Palestine, there was Judea. And there's a lot of other religions in the mix and cultures in that history as well. I mean, even that complexity oversimplifies a city like Jerusalem that historians like Simon Montefiore have written superbly about. My point is that I am not saying disagreements leading to wars don't ever have a religious context. Just that granting too much power to the religious justification for killing may ignore deeper roots. Religion can be used to build up walls and focus on differences. We know that. But it also can be used to break down barriers and even defend against bigotry or even on occasion defend gay people. If you want to see a recent example of that, check out the Boston Declaration, which was written by a diverse group of Christian pastors and theologians. Now, in some parts of the world, you know, I'm mentioning things like Jerusalem, where there can be a lot of conflict, but some parts of the world, things are totally different. So where I'm from, the United States, when we look at wars like World War I and World War II and Vietnam and the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the Korean War, even the Iraq War, I don't think religion was a top factor in any of those. I will double down on that point where even if you take modern battles that are happening this month that seem mostly religious, such as the current ones between Sunni Islam and Shiite Islam, I really believe they are using religion as an excuse for resources and power, tribalistic, nationalistic, and other ideologies. In a book I read on that topic called The Shia Revival, popular book lately, explains that in much more detail than I can competently do. That's not an original thought that I have, but I think it makes a good argument that it really isn't just about who descended from Muhammad that is the biggest basis for the Sunni and Shiite conflicts that are happening right now in the Middle East. And while mentioning some of the modern monotheistic religions, 
I think it's worth saying that monotheism, a relatively new phenomenon compared to the more ancient polytheistic religions, that monotheism more likely has less tolerance. And when people believed in hundreds of gods at a time, it didn't cause a lot of conflict if you said, I believe in this god of trees or the god of the internet, because it seemed reasonable that there should be lots of different gods and people didn't fight quite as much about religion in those days. Now, where I happen to live is Colorado Springs, which, unlike Saudi Arabia, where you may be born into Islam or other parts of the world where you may be born into Buddhism or whatever, if you're born here, there's a good chance you'll be part of a family that believes in evangelical Christianity. Now, there's a lot of religions in Colorado Springs, so there are Mormons and Jewish people and atheists, and right next to us is Manitou Springs, which has a huge population of Wiccans. And I'm not pandering to say the following, because everywhere I've lived, it's been more of an evangelical Christianity or, uh, in my wife's family, Catholic faith. I, I don't think I'm pandering to say the following, because... I believe, I mean, I'll step back and say that while I've met some dark-hearted people who boast loudly for Christ, I've met many more people who I consider to be among the most ethical and kind-hearted people I know who are true believer Christians. Not that they go to church on Sunday and quote the Bible, which makes you no more of a Christian than wearing a Packers jersey means you're on the actual Green Bay Packers team. But more what I'm saying, and I'm saying this subjectively, that the Christians I know that are living what Jesus actually talked a heck a lot of about, which is helping the sick, and particularly talked about economic justice and helping the poor. By the way, things he spoke logarithmically more about than topics that were basically off of his radar, like gay marriage and birth control. Those Christians that believe in those topics they tend not to wear their faith on their sleeve when I see them trying to help people from an economic justice standpoint. So, you know, by the way, I will say that I've been in a Catholic hospital since 2002, and this includes some of the nuns that I've met over the years at my Catholic hospital, who I will also tell you some of them are true liberals in their politics. I know that would surprise some people, but um, these nuns, some of them that I've met don't hide their faith by any means. In fact, I haven't met one that's hidden their faith, but instead they often let their actions speak louder than words. You know, Mother Teresa was the prime example of that. And yes, she's a saint in anyone's eyes, although she also did struggle with her faith. And along the lines of Mother Teresa, I love reading and listening to the current 14th Dalai Lama, who I challenge anyone to name a more compassionate living human, and he's someone who certainly is not trying to convert people to his religion. So, getting back to living in a heavy evangelical community, I, I do get questioned about faith by patients on occasion, uh, some who want me to pray with them. Some who I think have really liked me have suddenly changed their body language and their charm when I tell them, I don't believe in Christ as the Lord or the Son of God, which is something I would never, ever 
tell them if they didn't specifically ask me that question. Now, admittedly, this is not the majority of religious people I meet, and most of them remain delightful and can accept my view. So I'm not trying to put large numbers in a small box based on a few unpleasant experiences. Now, depending on my mood, I might address religion when asked, but I usually wish I could moonwalk away from the conversation. It is also interesting to watch views change with time in our community. So the evangelical influences, while very present still in Colorado Springs, are not as strong as they used to be. They had some setbacks, like when the biggest megachurch here called New Life discovered that their founder and pastor, known in town as Pastor Ted, but this was national news as well, he was paying for gay sex by a male prostitute he hired from classified ads and also purchased methamphetamine, which he says he only purchased but didn't use. I mean, you get the story. But this guy, Pastor Ted, who was a major leader not only here in town, but I, my understanding is he had weekly conversations with President Bush while Bush was in the White House until this happened. You know, all of a sudden, things got really quiet here among a lot of folks. And I subjectively think that had a long-term impact on a lot of people. And the thing is, is that communities change. A lot of physicians, and particularly dentists and orthodontists, that are Mormons seem to be moving to Colorado Springs. We're pretty close to Utah, I guess. But you know, my wife and I always comment that how good-looking a lot of these Mormon couples are. We think that, you know, particularly compared to the people that we grew up with <laughs> in Ohio, where everybody was smoking and drinking and all that, we're pretty convinced that the lack of smoking and drinking is part of the answer to staying young and living a healthier lifestyle, um, even though, you know, we're not always been the best examples of that. But the point is that for those in some religions, it can lead to better physical health and better lifestyle for many. And I'm not kidding when I say at least a third of my residents right now, I teach resident physicians, are Mormon. There's a Jewish saying that if you pour your purse into your head, nobody can steal it. And I get the sense that my smart Mormon residents follow that philosophy, even if they've not heard it in that quotation or in that term. But that tangent aside, back to what I was saying, which is that it's not totally atypical for me to get asked about faith by patients or coworkers. And I typically end the conversation with unsatisfactory simplicities, maybe because I'm very busy, but not typically because I'm worried about offending. I just don't want to go into this very long debate, particularly with somebody who is not ready to change attachments to perhaps what I happen to see as false dogmas implemented by their community, because I think it would be psychologically too painful for most people to have a new beginning in their consciousness, and I'm not even sure it would really help their lifestyle or their health. So maybe I'm the wrong one to even want to have somebody try and find new beginnings in their consciousness. Now, some days, I don't know what gets into me. I will get in the mood and I will bring up topics of faith with friends or my residents or whoever and try and better understand them. And it can be very revealing and I can learn a lot and I love learning. Um, but, you know, if I sense that someone's feeling defensive, I, of course, back off. But more often, they are happy to try and convince me why I'm blind and not infrequently invite me to their church or see it for myself. And 
that's a very friendly thing to do. I, I think that's always very, very nice. Now, occasionally, when willing to deep dive into faith conversations, what I would first like to know about a person is, are they a fundamentalist? Because most people aren't, and therefore, they really aren't who they think they are. And when it comes to religion, I do respect fundamentalists, the ones who hold a literal view of every sentence in their text. They aren't wishy-washy. And by respect, I should clarify that I do not mean that I necessarily hold them in esteem, as many definitions of respect do refer to respect being a positive thing. While I despise the logic and the outcome some of these things have on society, at least fundamentalists are being real. I use the term respect as in respecting an opponent. Some, you know, in war documentaries and memoirs, I find that soldiers in tough battles respect the capabilities of those they are fighting, even if they're trying to eliminate them. And when it comes to fundamentalists, respect certainly differs from pity, which is how I feel about the majority of people I come across who, in my mind, I would categorize as semi-religious, even though they feel differently about themselves, they only believe in portions of their faith. Not all, but a segment of these folks want you to suffer what they are going through. Like when your friend orders something they don't like and it, they turn you and say, oh my gosh, this is awful. Here, taste this. Again, I respect fundamentalism. And while not a perfect analogy, I respect the awesomeness of a hungry mountain lion about to eat me. That lion is what it is, and it is genuine. And likewise, a fundamentalist in their belief is genuine, though very dangerous. Where this analogy falls apart is that the lion really does not have a choice, and people do have at least a little bit of free will. I know we can get into that debate, but I do think they have some free will. And semi-religious folks dressed like a lion externally and not completely feeling it internally in all situations, they are these people you know who pick and choose parts of the book they want to believe in and totally disregard the rest of the book. They are not fundamentalists. They are not true believers, even though they may emotionally feel they are on that Sunday morning or whatever various time throughout the week. Now, I use my heritage religion as an example. So I'll take a very specific verse from the Old Testament Bible. And I was raised on the Old Testament Bible in Hebrew school. So there's a lot of examples we could use, but why don't we use Deuteronomy 22, where it says, if a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has violated her. He may not divorce her in all his days. All right, so if you take that, anybody that calls himself a true believer in Judaism or in Christianity, since we share the Old Testament with them, they can't just ignore that and then say, that other parts of the book are much better, and those are the parts we should focus on. That argument has been and will forever be lost on me. 
The Quran, likewise, contains several, and I mean several passages, justifying the killing and terrorizing of non-believers in Allah. And man, the political left hates hearing that. They just buy into someone telling them, no, it's really a peaceful religion. And yes, I do know very peaceful and pleasant Muslims, but I don't kid myself that the religion as a whole is totally peaceful because I've actually looked at the text. Again, you can be that person of faith that says, I only like the good parts and ignore the troubling parts, but to really embrace a religion completely, well, those holy books say what they say. And I'm sorry about that, but that's what they say. There are definitely beautiful passages of peace and understanding, but there are some very, very difficult passages such as if you rape a woman, you just pay her father and you can never divorce her, and difficult passages of violence in certain books. So, you know, of course, people that are religious scholars that truly have studied it, they do admit what I was talking about earlier, that there are different writing styles of a book like the Bible that suggests more than a single author as opposed to just God having written it. But when you have different versions and translations, how can you say exactly what God is trying to say? You know, things happen. I mean, it's kind of like the dyslexic Satanist who, after an innocent spelling mistake, accidentally sells his soul to Santa. Now, all that aside, I do find that the words of a religion, what it says or doesn't say, to be very interesting. So, yes, I don't believe in the Quran or the Bible or Scientology or Hinduism or Greek gods. I think it's only as interesting as analyzing a great novel, which can be incredibly interesting. So, I love Greek mythology. I love some biblical stories. And to be fair, I will acknowledge that some of the most brilliant minds have been fundamentalists throughout human history, and that continues to be so. I don't know of a genius that I consider greater than Bob Dylan when it comes to words and verse, but his period of Christianity was an all-in moment, no toes in the water, a true believer. And while not maybe his best period of work, one can't ignore the magnificence of some songs like Gotta Serve Somebody. And I am getting more into Johann Sebastian Bach, and while some of his music was secular, much of it was religious, as is the case with numerous composers and artists, black gospel and soul. Needless to say, it's glorious stuff that can, in a bizarre twist, make me feel a higher power of spirit, though I don't accept that feeling as Jesus or a biblical God, even though that is the intent. And that is why I don't like the words like atheism, because I think it's hard to define, or agnostic, particularly when somebody uses a term such as atheism in a pejorative way, meaning they're applying it as a term for rejecting the current gods worshipped by a larger society, though I think many have the view that there is some sort of higher power, and we still have morals, and we have depth, and to think that atheism or agnosticism doesn't have those things 
is really very far from the truth. You know, I may reject your human-made deities or maybe truly God-made deities, but I don't apologize for that. I, I am sure a hidden higher power exists, energy sources we haven't begun to tap into in immense amount of knowledge and discoveries that someday we'll make today look only to be slightly less ignorant than the Stone Age times. But as far as me being sorry for being me, I am not. And lastly, I think what I will leave you with is that even though some of us may not believe in exactly the same things that you believe in, we still have faith. It does take a busload of faith to get by through every single day, no matter who you are. Hey, thank you for hearing me out on this one. That was Lou Reed, Busload of Faith, and I'm Gil Parat. I will catch you on the next round.